is up, homies? The Outkick Bets podcast is back. It's me, your host, Jeff Clark, and we broke Dan Z out of COVID protocol to bring him back to handicap the NFL week four. Dan, you're healthy and ready to go, right? You did not have COVID, but no. thank you for asking. Uh, and spreading a false know, we, rumor. <laughs> we had the test, you know. There were some there were some tenuous moments. My life hung in the balance, but uh, thankfully, no COVID. But yeah, we're back this week. Uh, thanks for giving me a week off. I still logged on on Thursday to write my picks, but it was not. I had a really bad sinus infection. I had to turn down a Fox weather hit too. So I was like, I sound like trash, and no one wants to listen to that. Was the Fox weather hit going to be talking about how tropical storm Ophelia was affecting the NFL games? I don't. I didn't even get that far. I got like <laughs> I got an, a text that was like, "Do you want to?" And I'm like, "No, I can't speak." Yeah, sound awful. Yeah, you were sounding pretty rough um, when you joined on the uh, editorial call, but happy you battled through it. Um, you make this podcast a little sharper. You hit like what sixty four percent of your bets last year. How are you doing so far this year? Yeah, I was sixty two percent during last NFL regular season. I uh, went five hundred both week one and week two. So no losing weeks yet this year. But uh, we finally strung together a winning week last week. Went three and two. Uh, had a chance for a real nice week going into Monday night, but the Bengals and Rams kind of screwed me. I had the over in that game and. There were some really fluky stuff that happened. Now, you look at the score and you go, it wasn't even close to the over. And you might even watch the game and been like, it wasn't even close to the over. But as a an avid over-under better, I can tell you that there were a few things, a few key things that happened that really cost me on that one. Yeah, dude. I had a shitty week three. I was two and three for a second straight week. So my Circa Million contest is down to eight and seven. Still have a winning record. Um, I'm mad at myself for taking the Titans over the Browns. I kind of broke my own rule there, which is fade, which you've seen most recently. And it was the Titans coming off a big win over the Chargers and the Browns suffering a kind of embarrassing but fluky loss to Pittsburgh with the two defensive touchdowns. That was a stupid bet. I'm mad at myself for that one. Uh, I had Detroit over Atlanta. I felt great about that. Actually put two units on that bet because I was like, Detroit's going to absolutely pile drive Atlanta. Um, and that was never in doubt. Felt really good about that one. Uh, loved the under in the Patriots-Jets game. That one had no problem. Liked but didn't love the under in the Steelers-Raiders. And thank God Josh McDaniels is an idiot. Uh, he helped us cash that with that field goal that made absolutely zero sense. It actually, it's funny because people were mad when he was going to kick the field goal the first time. And I was like, well... That kind of makes sense. You're down eight, which is sometimes people tend to look at eight and go like, that's one score. Like, well, kind of. You're not guaranteed to get a two point conversion. I think it's only it's like, what, 55 to 60 percent. I think so it's 48. A we're looking it up. It's only 48 to convert two point <laughs> conversion. Yeah. That seems low. But either way. So you're talking about scoring a touchdown and then a coin flip on whether or not you're going to tie the game when they initially had the field goal opportunity there was like three and a half minutes left and they had two timeouts so i was like this makes sense kick the field goal because now a touchdown wins you the game like that part needs to be taken into account you're chasing a touchdown 
and a two-point conversion to tie. Take the field goal here. You need to score a touchdown to win the game. But at that point, you had three and a half minutes and two timeouts, which means even if the Steelers get one first down, maybe even two, depending on how it went, you could still at least get the ball back with it with an opportunity. But kicking the field goal when they did, as close to the end zone as they were, in a situation where they almost certainly weren't going to get the ball back, that made no sense. Yeah, I had the uh, Raiders minus two and a half, and I heavily disagreed with them kicking the field goal the second time around. They wasted. But the first one you probably didn't hate because you were like, "All right, well now if they get a touchdown, they're going to go." I mean, it's then your bet comes down to a coin flip because they're going to go for two to go up by three. I thought it was if more of a coin it, flip, like our gray cover. area um, in the decision making, but like. The second time was just egregious. I wanted to throw something at my TV. Absolutely egregious. 100% agree with that. Yeah. um, I took the Jets plus two and a half. Uh, That lost, obviously. Took the Vikings minus one. That lost. Both of which are heartbreaking. Um, Well, actually, I took the Jets plus three in the contest. So that safety pushed it over. I would have had a chop. Vikings obviously had a chance to win it, but failed. I laid 13 with the Chiefs, just picking on the, the Bears and they smoked the Bears, and I took two against the Saint uh, with the Saints. They end up covering in an eighteen seventeen loss. So, all in all, two and three week for me. Um, I try to go heads up with you in the Falcons uh, Lions game. You didn't want any part of that. Thank God for me because I would have lost some money to you. Um, I like the Browns. I think I put the Browns in my a circa million with my brother. Um, I thought they were going to bounce back because I just love that defense and I'm a Deshaun Watson stockholder. Um, but I don't think I have any money in the Browns this week. Maybe I can be talked into it. Uh, actually, I don't think we're going to even talk about the Browns. Uh, stick around after Dan is done going through our best bets. I'm going to bring in Fox News and business contributor Scott Martins. Uh, Scott Martin, excuse me, to talk about his uh, his barking dogs of the week, and you know the segment we call barking dogs. But first, let's me and Dan go over our best bets. We're gonna start in London. I got the uh, Falcons versus the Jaguars. I am laying the three points with the Jaguars. Actually, it's up to three and a half right now. I think at our sponsor uh, point bet or points bet. Excuse me. And it's just a fade against Desmond Ritter. Desmond Ritter is perhaps the worst quarterback in the league besides Zach Wilson and Justin Field. Um, excuse me, just clarified. Or I just want to clarify, it is minus three at points bet. That's why I'm giving it out. Uh, Jackson also Justin Will- Fields, you're really struggling to get those S's in there. Oh, my God, I know. Points bet, Justin Fields. Field. <laughs> I'm butchering this segment already. But uh, the Jaguars are actually a really good run defense they are top five in success rate in epa uh versus the run this year they're gonna make desmond ritter beat them in the air and i don't think he can obviously jacksonville has a lot of experience in london they play here every single year so i do think they have um a slight home crowd advantage or home field advantage just with experience and you'd think there's got to be jaguar fans in london at this point um, and I was anti the Atlanta Falcons coming into this season. 
They couldn't run the ball last week against the Detroit Lions, and Detroit Lions have a very beatable defense. So I think Jacksonville gets right against Atlanta and London. What are your thoughts on that? Um, the only pushback I have is I don't think Jacksonville is very good, and I've said that in the preseason. Uh, I don't think Atlanta is very good either. The problem with the three points is that one thing Atlanta does do is shorten games, so I think there's a decent chance it's a close game. I didn't end up playing it, but I heavily considered and nearly took the under in this game. And so I would I would be hesitant laying points in a game I think is going to go under an already relatively low total. Yeah, I hear you there. 43 is the total. Desmond Ritter ate seven sacks last week against the Lions. That guy has zero pocket awareness. Yeah, he stinks. Um. He There's some go really, the really bad quarterback play in the NFL right now. Like, shockingly bad. Like, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and Desmond Ritter don't belong on an NFL field starting no. a quarterback at all. No. Like, Mac Jones, I think, is terrible, and he's, like, flying under the radar because these other three guys are so bad. I might actually be coming around on Arthur Smith a little bit. I've given him a lot of shit on this show, and I've written a lot of negative things about him, mostly because his offense is so boring and when he flipped out on the reporter or made a sarcastic comment to a reporter asking about like why drake london and kyle pitts you know in i think week two didn't get enough touches and he was like oh let the fantasy guys worry about that it's like no dude they're not asking because of fantasy football they're asking you because you took those two guys in the top 10 of the last two nfl drafts and you're not giving them the ball that doesn't make any sense you're a head coach who has two first round picks in your offense that you're not using that's why they're asking, not because of fantasy football, you botard. But anyway, I hate Arthur Smith. His offense sucks. But part of me kind of thinks like, well, maybe his strategy is, look, my quarterback stinks. I got to shorten these games, shorten these possessions, introduce variance. That's my best chance to win. And look, they're 2-1 and one with a team that's not 2-1 and one worthy. So who am I to say? Yeah, I thought he made the most of his Tennessee personnel when he was their offensive coordinator. I thought he did a pretty decent job with Marcus Mariota and a little bit of Desmond Ritter last year. I don't know. I think he's making the most of his of his roster. By using them as little as possible. <laughs> well, dude, Desmond Ritter can't throw down the field and almost refuses to. I maybe maybe it is Arthur Smith holding <laughs> holding Desmond Ritter back, which I laughed as I started to say that because that doesn't make sense. I, I don't believe that to be the case. Well, I mean, it could be technically true, but it could also be if you shot him up with sodium pentothal, he'd be like, why are you holding Desmond Ritter back? Be like, because he can't do it. Yeah. That's why. Why don't you throw deep? Because Ritter can't. So that's why our offense doesn't do that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to take the Jaguars, uh, laying the three in London, pretty much a home game. Hopefully Lawrence has a bounce back. Hopefully they can just make Desmond Ritter beat them in the air. Those are my uh, angles. Let's talk about your first uh, bet here. Bears versus the Broncos. They're hosting the Broncos. I almost said at the Broncos, but the Broncos are going to uh, the Windy City this weekend. Yeah, speaking of terrible quarterbacks, I'm going to start this off by backing one of them. Uh, Really, this one comes down to not really a difference. It's not really about the teams involved. This is really about the number. And I think 
that the Bears are terrible, arguably the worst team in the NFL, but it's not like the Broncos are much better than that. In fact, both of these teams could be among the worst in the NFL, and, and they are. But I just can't see... I mean, the Bears are three-and-a-half-point underdogs at home. If you factor in Soldier Field home field advantage, which has to be at least three points, they're saying that Denver is six-and-a-half points better than the Bears on a neutral field. Denver isn't six-and-a-half points better than anyone. And that's kind of where I'm at with my rationale here, although you're twisting your eyebrows up. No, I'm okay with this. So it kind of goes – it doesn't go against my my usual ethos about fading what you saw most recently. This isn't me overreacting to the Broncos getting 70 points hung on them. In fact, I think the market kind of underreacted to that because the preseason line for this game was Bears plus one and a half. Last week, before the games, it was two and a half. Denver – got beat by giving up 70 points, but the line still moved towards them. So I actually don't think Vegas actually is reacting more to how much the bears stink than the Broncos getting absolutely trounced. It feels like they're kind of throwing that out as like, look, that was just sort of a wonky game and you know, whatever, but I can't see Denver giving any team three and a half points on the road right now. That makes absolutely no sense to me. Denver, as I mentioned, if you look at EPA per play, offensive, defense, both the Bears and the Broncos are in the bottom five of the NFL in combined uh, EPA with the Giants, the Jets, and the Steelers. You know, I, I think this week Chicago coaches kind of have no choice. Like, look, is it a great long-term strategy for Justin Fields to not study film and not be told stuff? No. But could it work one week? Yeah, we've seen it. We've seen it a few times where Fields just runs around like crazy and wins games, and that's what makes people think that he could be really good. He's just not. It's not a it's not a recipe for success long term. It can work in the short term, and I think with their backs up against the wall, you had mentioned on the editorial call uh, this game or the week five Thursday night game, aka Matt Eberflus's final game uh, as head coach. Yeah, backs up against the wall. At this point, they got to try something. And I think a home game against a really bad team, you just sort of like, look, Denver doesn't really bring anything to the table crazy defensively that we need to worry about. Man, just go out there and be an athlete. Just be an athlete. Yeah. I mean, if they lose this game, they're not going to fire him in a short week, right? They're going to want to keep the coach for another week. So, I mean, if he loses this week, loses next week, I think Eberflus is out the door. But that's part of the reason why I like the Bears here is they have – motivation whereas I don't think Denver does like Russell Wilson's made 100 million plus Sean Payton's got a 10-year contract he's good regardless of what happens with and if anything Payton might be in a situation now where he wants them to be so bad so he can bench Russell Wilson's ass yeah and or I don't I don't even really believe this what I'm going to say but like the whole Caleb Williams or Drake May tanking for those guys like you know Sean Payton probably doesn't want uh, Russell Wilson, or is cool with Russell Wilson, you know, not being the starting quarterback next year. But conversely, like, Ibra job is on the line. And if Chicago is picking in the top three, they are there. Justin Fields is out the door as well. So, like, this is kind of like an all in game for this team. And like you said, I don't think the Broncos should be road favorites literally against anyone. And that includes the Bears, who I hated the whole time and that also brings me to the next point touching back on I think your first point which is the market reacting um and and putting money on the Broncos despite them giving up 70 last week I think the market feels like 
idiots for liking the Bears in the first place going into the season. And now, to your point, they're overreacting back the other way. I think it's an all-in game for the Bears. I immediately when I saw this game on the schedule, I was like, there's no way I would bet money on either one of these teams. There's no way I'm going to. But if I had to, got into my head, I'd go with the Bears. I'd take the points here. Because I just I don't know. I don't I don't I don't like this Broncos situation. There's no way they should be road favorites. So I agree with pretty much all of your analysis, honestly. Oh. But talk dirty to me, but, bro. Also, going back, this is more, you know, like uh, not betting related. I thought that Justin Fields press conference was one of the worst quarterback press conferences I've ever seen. This guy actually said, nah, I'm good. I got it. Just let me play my game. And I'm being, oh, they're giving me too much information. Like, if I was the owner, I, I would have benched him. Like, like, dude. I was watching McAfee's show today. They were having such a good time with his post game where uh, he started talking about the little things. He's like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Once players start talking about the little things, you know it's that's that's the ship has sailed. Yeah. It's over. Once it's get back to basics, do the little things, like, no, no, no. That's not a good sign. Yeah, it's done. It's I, I like everyone understands Justin Fields is a is a project quarterback. They knew that when he was drafted. So for him to be like, nah, I got it. Just let me play my own games. Like, do you don't even understand how far away from being a legit franchise quarterback like you actually are? So, yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, what else is he going to say? I The bigger deal was the. They're giving me too much information. And I said this to you earlier, and it's not something I want to say publicly, but at the same time, when you hate on Justin Fields, you're going to get called a racist. And I, I texted this to you, and I stand by it. I don't think Justin Fields is dumb because he's black. I think Justin Fields is dumb because he's dumb. He's a dumb person. Listen to him talk. He's not smart. Well, There are smart black people. It does. He's not dumb because he's black. He's just a dumb person. Gronk's dumb, too. Listen to him talk. Now he's just funny and goofy, and everyone gets all behind him. But like Gronk's pretty dumb. Well, you don't have to be smart to be good at football. You got to be football smart to be good at football. And yeah, I mean, but there are positions where you can kind of get away with it, and quarterback is one of the least of those. Yeah, Justin Fields just isn't. He can't read defenses. He's not going through his progressions. I, I don't know. Like I thought the whole press conference is dumb, and what he should have said was like. Hey, my bad. I've sucked. I'm trying to get better. That's just keep it real with everyone. Don't be like, oh, no. I think he did keep it real. That's the sad part. His keeping it real was like, dude, I'm not smart enough to get all this information. Yeah, yeah, stop yeah. Giving it to but me. like some of the some <laughs> of the media like are still defending him. And whereas I walked away from that press conference like, oh, my God, I can't believe what this guy just admitted. Like he just admitted he's too dumb for the position. I and some people, crazy. yeah, they were like, he's right. These coaches are, are too hard on him. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. But this is, we're back to the racial element, though. Like, they are so, like, Justin Fields is one of those guys who definitely gets sort of the racial bias. And it's yeah. true. Like, I, as someone who's never thought he was going to be good, I have been tweeted that my takes on Justin Fields are racist. And I think that's hilarious because now everyone's seeing it and they're like oh yeah he might have just sucked like oh yeah really interesting that's Could why i just foreseen this. i try to stay away from that stuff by just going at mac jones no one can accuse <laughs> me for being racist by, he by sucks just... too he's not dumb though 
but he no. does suck. I don't, I don't know how smart he is. Uh, he seems like a cheap shot artist. He definitely is. He's for sure a dirty football player. And I wrote about that last year when he had that disgustingly dirty play on the Bengals player. Do you remember that? No, but I know there's a few of these incidents. It was like a uh, the Bengals had intercepted and were taking back a pick six. And like one of the the trailing defenders who would like be a blocker, Jones took out his knees. And he was behind the play. Like, Jones had no chance at that point to catch the guy who was returning. Uh, and he was like, oh, I was taking the blocker out of the play. It was like, dude, come on. Like, you're pissed you threw a pick, and you went low at a dude's knees who's running full speed. Like, he wasn't going to factor into that play. Nobody on your team was – like, the play was essentially over. Yeah. That play was gross. Like, gross, gross. Because yeah. he had time to think about it, too. And the ball tap on an opponent – yeah, Wonderlick scores aside, they both suck at quarterback. Um, and he's a guy who slides with his leg up all the time. Yeah, that dude is a dirty little shit. He's, oh, he is. He totally is. He's a dirt ball. But all we right. can say that because he's white and I get yelled at. Damn right we can. Screw Dan. No, Mac Jones. I almost, called, almost said screw Dan Jones. Not that happy with that guy either, but we'll talk about him later. I'm going to go to my best bet. Uh, I went with the Jaguars because it was chronological, right? Six, nine thirty Eastern Standard kickoff. I'm going with the Titans plus two and a half at home against Bengals and sourcing the rule of Dan Z, which is do not overreact to what you just saw. Bengals got a very misleading win on primetime at home on Monday Night Football 1916 over the Rams. The Titans got just stomped by the Cleveland Browns in a game they never had a chance in. Um, but Mike Vrabel teams respond well to double-digit whoopings. They are 9-2-1 and one against the spread after double-digit losses and 9-3 and three straight up. Um, I think this is a get-right spot for Tennessee's run game. Cincinnati is actually five, average or allows 5.1 yards per rush, which is 28th in the NFL. Derrick Henry hasn't really gone off this year, so I think this can be a get-right spot for him as well. I do not like what I see out of Joe Burrow um, and the Cincinnati offense. He's not going deep down the field. Um, He doesn't have a lot of mobility in the pocket. I think Tennessee's defensive line is going to maul Cincinnati's offensive line. And if you really like look at the outcomes of these games, Cincinnati lost... Uh, they got crushed by by Cleveland in week one. They lost narrowly by one score to the uh, Baltimore Ravens in week two. And they were in a tough mat, uh, battle against the, the Rams that they only won by three points. For the Titans, they lost by one point to the Saints, who is a defense that I love. I'm going to talk about them later. They beat the Chargers by three points in overtime, which is a pretty solid win. And they got crushed by the Browns. So, like, on paper, these teams have had pretty much the same um, year thus far. By the end of the year, I expect the Bengals to be a Super Bowl contender. Don't feel that strong about the Titans. I did pick them preseason when the AFC South. But week four, Burrow doesn't look right. This offense doesn't have a lot of pop. And I think Vrabel's going to do enough to cover the number. And if the Bengals were that much better than the Titans, like the market seems to think they are, this number would be higher than two and a half. So I'm going to take the points to be safe. I think Titans win the game outright, but 
I'll take the Titans plus two and a half. Yeah. <clears throat> two teams I like, so I'm really have a lean either way. But I do like you invoking my strategy, so for that I give you credit. I know. I want when I mentioned the Titans, I didn't think you were on board, but then when I threw the rule of Dan Z in your face, I was like, ah, I got him. I got him. He's totally- Unless you wanted to lure me into taking the Bengals, which I might have done, but not anymore. I mean, I'm open for business, baby. Mm, now nah, you convinced me. Good argument. All right, let's talk about your second pick. Because uh, you're right. You're right. Oh, everything okay. apply- Everything applies in that situation, which is what you said. Misleading win on a Monday night. Bengals still don't look right. Now they're playing on a short week, which is also not ideal. Tennessee essentially gave up in that game, so they only played about a half of football. Cincinnati had to play the entire game. Dude, they had 94 total yards and 80 penalty yeah. yards. They got stomped by the Browns' Listen, defense. I, I told you that Cleveland defense is going to be nasty this year. Yeah, I was half wrong about the Browns. So I'll give you that. Hmm. Is the other half really Watson? Good, yeah, the other half Deshaun Watson is bad, and I didn't think he was going to be good, so I was right about that. But I was wrong about how how good their defense is. Like, early, I didn't baby. think it was good enough to. Yeah, I. I... It's I... we're going down the racism path here because I also think Deshaun Watson's pretty dumb, <laughs> but that has again more to do with just the decisions he's made in his life. They're pretty terrible. What do you mean? All right. Uh, let's talk about your second bet here. Uh, can we can we talk about Miami Dolphins, Buffalo Bills? Are you, you're not ready for that right now. No, oh, we can do whatever you want, buddy. It's your show. Your name's on it, not mine. Actually, Despite since we both like this game, for me. since we both like this game or have action on this game, let's talk about Bucks at the Saints. Oh, we're, uh, okay. So now we're skipping all the way ahead. All right. Yeah, I'm going to take the under in this game. Um, I think I'm 3-0 and on my they-can't-make-this-line-low-enough games. Um, usually I just look for two teams that I think can't score. And usually, though, and, and I wrote this up, too, that the line's, like, in the 30s because I think we didn't get a chance to talk about it last week, but the Patriots-Jets over-under was 35-and-a-half, which is, like, tropical storm. Not more than that, like, snowstorm-type over under and like the weather wasn't that bad but it was like there's no way these teams are scoring like you could make this line 28 and i'm probably still taking the under which by the way still would have hit um this isn't quite that because it's in the 40s but actually i do think the market interestingly didn't react to all the unders last week they did after week one there were a ton of unders in week one and the numbers dropped precipitously in week two. And then there were a ton of overs. Then it overcorrected back again. And there were a ton of unders last week and points were low. But this is the lowest total on the slate at 40 and a half, which I thought was actually kind of strange. But a lot of the teams that I would generally try to look for their under uh, didn't exist. But in this one, both of these teams have above average defenses and average offenses. The Bucks offense looks better statistically than it is, but that's because they played Chicago, who actually has the league's worst defense. The Saints haven't scored more than 20 points in a single game this season, and Derek Carr is probably not going to play. I think the Saints are going to run a lot with Alvin Kamara coming back. I think Taysom Hill is going to get some snaps, especially with, with Winston at quarterback. I think they're going to turn to Taysom Hill, run some Wildcat stuff. Um, Kendra Miller finally got healthy. Like all their best players really are in their backfield. And so I think that's 
a key here. The other thing is that these two teams played last season and Jameis Winston started and played that entire game and it went under 40 points. It was 20 to 17. And that was with the Bucks starting Tom Brady. And now they're starting Baker Mayfield. So the Bucks scored 20 points last season with Tom Brady. Now they have Baker Mayfield. And the Saints have Jameis Winston, who they had at the time. So I, there's really no one on the – like when I when I talk about overs and unders, like there are a couple of key things. And this is why I actually in one of my pools, like I had to pick the uh, Dolphins-Broncos over-under. It was like a required pick. And I, I picked the under, and then I got mad at myself later because I was like – the key with overs and unders is like, can do those teams produce explosive plays or big turnovers? Like those are the things that tend to really hurt unders. And the Dolphins have just a plethora of guys who can take every ball to the house. So like, I would never bet a Dolphins under ever. Just at this point, um, I don't think they can make that line high enough where I would take the under because the the chances are of them whatever. But, like, you look at the Saints offense and, like, of the guys I know, like, Kamara, he's going to be rusty. Like, does anyone on the Saints offense except Rashid Shahid and he gets five touches a game? Like, he's really their only game breaker. They're going to have to start getting him more involved. And then on the Bucks side. You like Alave? Like, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think I forgot about him. <laughs> I got so bogged down that I kind of forgot about Alave. But he's not really – He's not really like a game breaker type either, though. Like he's kind of like Mike Evans, which is what I wrote on the internet. So, like Mike Evans is an awesome wide receiver and probably top ten in the NFL. But if anything, he's like more of a chain mover. Like you can count on him. He's going to run great routes, great slants. But he's not going to take the lid off the defense and like really beat you deep. Alave can do that, obviously more, but that's more because he's younger. But Alave is still kind of a bit of a good route run possession type of guy. Um, plus, I think the Bucks will focus on him a lot and make sure he doesn't do that. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. I think this is a for sure under, and I feel very good about it. Um, I like your look for the under. I am going to lay the points with the Saints, though, minus three right now because New Orleans' defense owns Tampa Bay's offense, um, and that was with Tom Brady under center. Now they got Baker Mayfield. They're going to, I think, just crush this offense. We saw Tampa Bay get just destroyed by the Philadelphia Eagles last week. And I actually think the Saints defense is better. At least they match up better against the Bucs. Um, you already touched on it. The Bucs only scored 20, or they scored 27 points against the Bears, who have one of the worst defense in the league. And that was Justin Fields giving Shaquille Barrett a four-yard touchdown, essentially. You know, so they really only scored 20 true points. They average less than four yards per play in their win against the Vikings. But see, that's the only holdup. I, I didn't get to this point, but that is my one holdup in this game, which is you do have two quarterbacks who could turn the ball over for big plays the other way, which is the most nervous part. If you could guarantee me there are going to be no turnovers in this game, I'd say the under is – I would literally bet my life that, that it was going to hit the under. Yeah. The, the thing I'm most worried about is either one of these quarterbacks doing something really stupid – that leads to a pick six or a big fumble or just, yeah. but sometimes those turnovers can benefit you because on the other side of that coin is, you know, being at your opponent's five yard line on first and goal and throwing a pick, which is great for unders. There's nothing better than a pick in the end zone uh, for an under. 
So you kind of, but you take the good with the bad because uh, that bit me a couple times picking uh, the under against bad quarterbacks who then did something really stupid that gave away, like a Justin Fields throwing the ball to Shaq Barrett on the four yard line, which is really stupid, and yep. probably probably hit the over in that game. I bet it would have gone under if that didn't happen. Um. Yeah. Well, I think the uh, the the Tampa Bay Bucks wins are fraudulent. They're overrated by the market, I think. And I was on both of them um, already. And, and the Saints are 13th in net yards per play. The Bucks are 27th. Like, yeah, Baker's looked all right through three weeks, but he got humbled last week. And the first two defenses that he play, played had no teeth. So I think the Saints just destroy the Bucks, uh defensively like they usually do. That's where I'm here. Or that's where I'm... Uh, Betting my money this week. Saints minus three. Uh, let's talk about a game you and I are both on. The Rams at the Colts. Hopefully you cover it all in your analysis, but why do you like the team you're betting? Uh, yeah, this is fade what you saw most recently. We just talked about it. Rule the, of Dan Z. I mean, it's perfect, right? Like if the Bengals won and it looked better than it was the Rams losing looked worse than it was um I thought the Rams looked pretty bad on Monday Night Football against the Bengals team that didn't look great it just happened in front of everyone's eyes um being that it was a a Monday night game Colts got a big upset victory over the Ravens as of last week the Rams were actually favored in this game uh in the look ahead line in the middle of last week um but as usual the market overreacted to one week I think the Rams really were hurt by their terrible offensive line play, which is killing Stafford. And there's a great chart on Twitter, I think put out by uh, Ben Baldwin, Computer Cowboy, that shows that essentially every good season in Sean McVay's offense for either Matt Stafford or Jared Goff is totally lines up with offensive line play. Like Jared Goff's two bad seasons and Matt Stafford's bad season. Like they're all in the bottom where the line play was bad and they had elite seasons when the line play was good. Well, this is one of those bad line seasons, and Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard just absolutely destroyed them. And the good news for the Rams this week is that the strength of the Colts' defensive line is the interior line. The pass rush isn't really all that good. And so the Rams dominated the Seahawks in Week 1, a team that also doesn't really rush the passer all that well. So I think they're going to play better this week just because the opponent's much easier. Um, And I also think the Colts benefited from starting Gardner Minshew instead of Anthony Richardson. Um, Obviously, Richardson has a much higher ceiling in the NFL, and he might end up being a decent player or really good player even. I don't know yet. Uh, Jury's still out. But I do think for a one-week fill-in, I'd rather have Gardner Minshew in a random NFL regular season game right now than than Anthony Richardson. I think Sean McVay is going to be ecstatic to play a rookie quarterback this week, and I think he's going to have some exotic stuff uh, drawn up i think the rams are better than the colts wait you I think, think richardson's getting out there what you think richardson's playing this weekend yeah he's expected to play he's still in concussion protocol but he's they're they're I trying mean, to look, if you go to outkick outkick.com is reporting that he is expected to play this week so i'm gonna trust outkicks uh crack staff that they nailed this okay I mean, either way, I don't care. I I'd prefer Gardner Minshew because there's no way I think he's going to win two straight games in the NFL. You know, the Colts 
Uh, this is total rule of Dan Z again. Uh, misleading results, or not misleading, overreaction to both teams' week three results. You know the Rams outgained the Bengals in yards per play, 5.6 to 4.2? They were one. They, they came into the game leading the NFL on third down conversion rate. They were a 1 for 11 on third down against the Bengals, which just has to get better week over week. They were one for four in the red zone. They were one of the better red zone teams through the first uh, two weeks of the season. Um, They had a really bad luck interception on a tip ball. They lost the turnovers two to one. And if you remember, Tutu Atwell had a touchdown called back. So really, the Rams could have won that game despite their offensive line getting absolutely destroyed. I completely agree with your analysis, your point where the the Colts pass rush isn't so good. Now, if the Rams offensive line could just play above expectation a little bit, Stafford is going to pick apart this week secondary. Also, speaking and overreacting to last week's results, you know the Colts hit four 50-yard field goals in the rain and wind to win that game in overtime. That's And they beat a Baltimore team that was missing six starters. So I don't really get much out of that win versus the Ravens last week, and I'm not dinging the Rams too much for losing to the Bengals and a absolute must-win spot for the Bengals at home in primetime. Also, final point about this, Right now, the Colts are minus one. Last week, when Burrow was announced that he was playing, that Bengals game closed that Bengals minus three and a half. I don't care if Burrow was playing with one leg. The Bengals are more than two and a half points better than the Colts. Like I think we're getting value on the Rams here. So I'm all in. on not all in, but the Rams are definitely making By the way, Gardner Minshew, three times in his career, has won back-to-back starts. And none since his rookie year, right? True. Yeah, yeah. He's he's not he's not. He would not win. Um, but he's only had a couple opportunities to do that since his rookie year. That was the year he strung a bunch of starts together. Yeah. Well, there was one year where I think he was one in seven, and he started a whole bunch of consecutive games that year and lost a whole bunch of consecutive may have games. Lost six in a row. I mean. I don't have a lot of pushback on the, the point of Gardner Minshew being better than Anthony Richardson in a one-game sample size. I think that they're actually going to sit Anthony Richardson because they banked a win last week. And they're like, you know what? We can give this kid another week off. We'll see. If Outkick's reporting it, then I'm not going to go against our esteemed uh, journalist. But I had the feeling that Anthony Richardson was going to be out another week. Um, let's talk about the game of the week, which I'm not betting, but you are. Uh, your Dolphins visit the Buffalo Bills. You kind of tipped your hand already, but what do you like in this game? I'm going to bet the under here. No, I'm not going to bet the under. I just said I wasn't going to. Uh, I'm going to bet the over. Um, look, I, this is going to strike everyone as like you're completely overreacting. The Dolphins scored 70 points last week. Like, of course, you're taking the over, but... I don't think the market knows what to do with Dolphins totals right now. They've had two of their three games go over 70 points. Like, are, you, are, they, are we going to, are the Dolphins going to be a college football team where we start seeing over unders in the mid 60s? Like, I don't, maybe if that keeps happening. Um, 
but they put it at 53 and a half, which I actually think is still kind of low for what is expected to be. Like usually in the NFL, if you have a game between two teams that you expect to be high scoring, you would see at least 54, but 55 and a half, 56 is not off the table. Start getting into 57, 58. Those are usually out of range for, for NFL totals. Um, but 53 and a half is just kind of a, it's kind of a number you'd see between two good offenses. And these are not two good offenses. These are two elite offenses. Um, the Dolphins and Bills also, when they get together, tend to play high scoring games. Seven of the last 10 have gone over. And if you just look at games in Buffalo, nine of the last 10 between these two teams have gone over. The only worry here is that Buffalo's defense is really good. Um, it's better than Miami's defense, that's for sure. But they also haven't faced anything like the Miami Dolphins this season. And no, unless you face the Dolphins, you haven't faced anything like the Dolphins. Their offense is on a historic pace. As I said, the I don't think the market quite knows what to do with them yet. Um, the Jets struggle. I'm sorry, the Bills struggled in Week One against the Jets, but that was almost entirely due to Josh Allen turning the ball over four times. But in the last two weeks, they've scored 38 and 37 points. And one of those teams they scored in the mid-30s against, the Washington Commanders, have a similar defense statistically to the Miami Dolphins. So I, I think this has a chance to be one of the most exciting games we see in the NFL this entire season. I think both coaches are going to be aggressive, knowing that the other team's offense is good. And so I think we're not going to see a lot of punts as best they can. We're not going to see a lot of taking the points type of strategy. Like I think these guys are going to be pedal to the floor the entire game like hey we got a score to keep up i think both coaches are going to be and both coaches already are aggressive mcdermott and mcdaniel are both aggressive coaches as it is and in a game where they think the other team's going to be able to score um i think they're going to be aggressive continually here um and that and honestly on the plus side you know josh allen and tua are still quarterbacks who will make big mistakes trying to make big plays which could again uh help us on the oversight so i'm, I'm going to take the over here yeah, I'm just trying to look up what the implied total is, or the implied score is by the uh, the odds. So, well, the Bills are actually three point favorites. So, if you take three off the fifty three and a half, that means twenty five, twenty five, twenty eight, twenty five. Buffalo is the implied score. Yeah, you think Miami's only going to score twenty five points? Um, I don't see Miami scoring twenty five points. No, I think it'll probably be like a thirty one twenty seven game. I do think the Bills win. Um, my brother is high on the Dolphins. We have a circa million uh, entry together, and because I've been forceful on a few of them, and I don't really have a specific side in this game, I'm just going to go with the Dolphins. But I kind of feel like the Bills are going to get it done this week just because I trust their defense to make a stop, or is I, I don't think the Dolphins could stop the Bills at any point. So fun fact, I actually started by, I was going to take Buffalo. I had it written down. Like I was, I had started to make my case for why I was picking Buffalo minus three. Um, and the point was essentially kind of that, like, right. Let, let's fade the Dolphins coming off a 70 point win. Let's, but I was like, well, first of all, the line didn't move. It was minus three last week. It's minus three this week. So the market didn't really react. Also, I went and looked, and Mike McDaniel's been pretty good covering the spread against Buffalo. And actually, Miami's been good covering the spread against Buffalo lately. Because um, I went to use that as my argument. I was like, wait a minute. I might be wrong here. And so actually, as I started to kind of dive into the numbers, I was like, you know, the market didn't overreact to the Dolphins' win. And the history kind of shows the Dolphins' cover 
against Buffalo, especially Mike McDaniel and Tua. So I backed off of it. Yeah, it makes sense. But the Buffalo Bills stomped the Dolphins in the stats in week the their first meeting last year. The the Bills lost twenty one nineteen because of Josh Allen turnovers, and then Josh Allen and Buffalo Bill turnovers made their victory over the Dolphins and then the the wild card round look not very impressive. Whereas But that is a problem. That is no like, that's fair. Yeah, I mean that's admittedly fair. that's a problem. Like no. obviously, you know, Allen has those games. It's the biggest knock against him. And not only that, maybe the Dolphins figured out a way to get him off his game and get him to make mistakes. Yeah. Your point is why I am staying away from the game and I and I only lean Bills. So am I by the way. But except I love the I want the point. But because I do believe the Bills still have a legitimately top five, top ten defense, I don't think the Dolphins are there yet. Not until they get Jalen Ramsey back, whenever that may be. Um, I would, I would, I lean to the Bills. But um, let's go with, uh, let's wrap up with your final best bet here, which is the Seahawks at the Giants. Yeah, I am the under king and overs have actually not been very kind to me this year. And yet I'm going with another over, which is it's definitely the first time I've taken two overs in a week. Cause I, I love betting the under, you know that um, I just, these defenses are so bad and this line is so low. Again, we just talked about it. like 53 is kind of where I would expect to see a line between two teams. I think the market just is so anti New York giants right now um i thought about backing the giants in this one but i just couldn't get there with them but i do because i'm worried about their defense more than their offense i honestly believe that the giants are kind of at rock bottom that's what happened this weekend like they hit rock bottom but the schedule makers really didn't do them any favors they've played the cowboys and the 49ers who have arguably two of the three or four best defenses in the entire nfl and it's really been a problem but Facing Seattle is kind of the exact get-right spot that they need. I And I wrote this. like I am off the Giants entirely if they don't score at least 24 points in this game. If you can't put up 24 points against the Seattle Seahawks at home, I, I don't even know what to say. So, like I said, I tried to I tried to get there with the Giants, but I just couldn't quite because of their defense. And I think you know Seattle has shown an ability to put up points, and I, I think they could. But that's why I landed on the over. I think the Giants' offense is a good – get right spot for them. I don't trust either defense and that's where I'm at. Uh, as a giants fan, I am not so down on the team after getting crushed by the Cowboys and Eagles, uh, Cowboys and Niners, just cause I don't know. I'm learning the tough way. Like I really thought we could take a step forward this year, but that's not going to happen. And there is a clear tier above the giants and that tier uh, has the Eagles, Cowboys, and Niners in it. So when we get just destroyed by those teams, it's all good, you know, whatever. It's kind of expected to happen. I expect the Giants to beat teams that aren't in that tier. Um, so I could see them getting right against this against the Seahawks defense, which doesn't have a lot of bite right now either. They're banged up all over the place. Um, and they did score 27 against the Giants last year. The Seahawks did. And like you said, the Giants' defense really hasn't shown much of anything through the first three weeks. I mean, I know the the all three teams that they played went over their team win total. The Cardinals went up and down the field against the Giants in the first half of that game before the Giants came back. So 
I don't hate your look on that one. Um, all right, well, I'm going to go over to the barking dog segment here with the homie Scott Martin. So we, got, we're people- we got we were in we were in heavy agreement on this show. I know. I have one more that you probably fade me on. I'm going to probably take the Raiders plus the points against the Chargers. Do you want action on that one? No. Nice. Yeah, rule of Dan Z. Rule of Dan Z. You saw it coming. (laughs) Dude, as a a Southern California resident, I can just tell you, and I know you watch as much football. You you see these games too, but these Raiders-Charger games get nuts. They, they, they really do. And I just don't like the Chargers defense. I don't think they should be laying uh, more than five points against any team outside of the Bears, really, or the Broncos maybe. Yeah, I mean, would you get it at five and a half? Um, yeah, five and a half. Yeah, I have a tough time laying five and a half too, although, I mean – I don't think the Chargers' home field advantage is counted very heavily, so it's probably on the low end of that. So it's not at all. Dude, there's going to be more Raider fans, like 100. percent Yeah. So it's like, well, in that case, then they're saying the Chargers are about five points better than the Raiders. That's probably right. That that line feels kind of right. Yeah, I get it. I'm just hey, going back to your rule overreaction. I mean, but what's the overreaction? How? badly the Raiders choked or not choked but they how badly they looked on Sunday Night Football I think they looked that bad personally do you think the market thinks they looked that bad I think they're they're dinging Josh McDaniel for his well, they should. for his shitty uh, coaching decisions. but that's not but you can't fade Josh McDaniels being dumb week to week because he is going to be dumb and we're back to the conversation about dumb people Josh McDaniel seems kind of dumb for, especially for, I mean, for an NFL head coach. I'm sure he's not like an actual yeah. dumb person, but like for NFL head coaches, he seems kind of dumb and he makes dumb decisions. So it's like the market should react to McDaniel's. Be- well, it should have already known that he's dumb and <laughs> that should be factored in. Yeah. I don't think he's at that much of a coaching disadvantage against Brandon Staley. I- oh, right. Here we go. All right. I'll take it. I'm Just because you said that. I'm nice not, job. I'm not as anti Brandon Staley as a lot of people. It just, it just feels like he does everything wrong, and it just it's, it's just bad luck at this point. Like, frankly, I agreed with his decision to go for it last week it, because it was right. Yeah, it was, it was the right. A, it was the right decision because if he gets it, the right decision. It's in it's Game's in victory. Over. Yeah, it's in victory formation. Here's how here's how I phrased it. And to I'm not one. Of the, hold on, and I'm not one of these guys that it's like he he. Oh, I I don't I like that he went for it, but he picked the wrong play. I'm not going to front. I don't know shit about football. I don't know what the right play is. I'm not going to sit here and tell a professional coach what the right play was. It didn't work, and it just it's just kind of sim- sim- symbolic of his whole tenure. It's just he, he can't get out of his own way. That's true. I am one of those wrong play, although it's not really the play. It's the player. Look at the players on the Chargers roster, and you chose to put the ball in Josh Kelly's hands. I mean, That's the mistake. There's a world. Justin Hurt. The Chargers could have beat the Dolphins in Week One. They probably should have beaten the Titans in Week Two. If that's the case, Justin Herbert is the favorite for the MVP. He should have put yeah. the ball in his hand. That's what I think. But then again, if he. But also, we have this thing called the QB push play, and Justin Herbert is six foot four, two hundred and fifty yeah. pounds. Why are they not just running that play? 
There's I no agree. reason not to run that play. You, you can be the like, I'm not going to call out the play call, but we have a thing in the NFL that people want banned because it works too good. Why would you not run that play? I with agree. Your, if you have Tua, fine. I can kind of see it. Like he's small, he's fragile. Like you have Justin Herbert. He's a big dude. There is no reason not to run that play. Now, my point about this, you want to make a counterpoint to that? I just wanted to say my whole thing of I I cringe when I hear podcasters say totally. wrong play. So like easy. what do you what do you effing know? I'm not gonna sit here in front. Like I don't I don't know. I agree the push play. I think they should have kept the ball in Herbert's hands, but outside of that, I don't really have any analysis. It's and I always say that too. Like I agree with you on the like, oh, wrong play. To me, it's about the player. And like I said, you gave it to probably the fourth or fifth best player on your offense and your biggest play of the game that's where i was a fullback he's not yeah and they lined him up as a fullback which was but whatever again i'm not i think their thought was you know when you give the ball to a deep back you have more of a chance of penetration it just didn't work out fine um the push play is what they should have done but here was my argument to anyone who said punting was the right call and i i got a couple people with this i was like all right put yourself in this shoes you bet ten thousand dollars on the vikings you want to see the punter there or the Chargers offense? Well, punter. Like, yeah, that's why you go for it. Because you think the Vikings coaches were standing there going, I hope they send their offense on the field for this play? Hell no. The Vikings were like, I hope they just give us the ball. That'd be great. I would love it if they would just give us the ball. Because that if, if you punt in that situation, the Vikings have a 100% chance to have a chance to win the game. If you go for it, there is a chance, like a 60% chance, possibly 70% chance you lost the game and there's you're not going to touch the ball. Yeah. So it's absolutely 100% the right decision to go for it. Giving the ball to Josh Kelly as an up back was an odd choice, especially when the push play exists. Yeah, I think looking at the basics, it's like Justin Herbert, fourth and one. Do you want him to go for it to clinch the game? Yeah. But don't have him turn around and give the ball to Josh Kelly. Yeah, right? yeah, that's that's yeah, exactly. That's kind of my my issue. And it's just like as someone who had money in the Vikings, I I don't know. I would have preferred them kick it. You know, I would have I would have wanted that for the my Vikings bet. But I also didn't have confidence that they would do the obvious push play or have Justin Herbert win the game by himself somehow and they didn't so it was like hey all right and but the other thing too is and i i don't think he got enough credit for this staley very clearly said if we were up by four not three if we were up by three we would have punted and i was like that's a good way to look at it too that is a big difference because if you're up three in that situation you've given them the tie if you don't get it but there's not i think there's a big overrating of field position especially late in football games by like old school football people because that's who gets really upset about this stuff they're like oh the analytics i'm a football guy i you know i'm in the trenches you don't understand what it's like because you're a nerd and you're just looking at math i'm like you're overrating 40 yards of field position in a situation where the vikings have plenty of time like they have justin like and also you have to stop them from scoring a touchdown like as the chargers defense your goal like, what are the chances that if you punt there, the Vikings at least end up back at that spot at the 25-yard line needing its score? Yeah, and also to those I think there's guys, like an 80 to 90% chance that the Vikings, at the very worst, end up back in that spot with the same exact chance, except you gave yourself no chance to go win the game. Yeah, what I'd say to those people is, like, I'll give you really simple math. The Chargers had a fourth and one, and their yards per play are 6.1 right now. So, I mean, and it's... 
if they convert, it's a hundred percent win probability. One point four. So again, we're back to giving Josh Kelly the ball. Yeah. All right. Well, but they still had to. They still had to score a touchdown. Like, and that was part of Staley's thing. Is like, I can either give like get forty yards back, forty to fifty yards back, which is, again. I think the value of those those yards is is wildly overrated, and I think that's what the analytics take into account. That humans just don't like. We are so conditioned that like that field position matters a lot. But in today's day and age, where Kirk Cousins is on pace to throw for six thousand yards, like I don't think forty yards is that big of a deal. Like no. not worth not worth getting those yards to yeah. to not have a chance to win the game in that spot. Period. I mean, it, we we Kirk Cousins and Minnesota's issue isn't driving the ball in between the 20s it's finishing off drives it's extending drives like justin justin jefferson's getting 30 yards in the first play if they kick the ball and then uh, then we're right because and we're back to this because the chargers have to stop them from scoring a touchdown so jefferson all he's got to do is pretend like he's running the deep route the safety has to play that because they can't give up a 70 yard bomb to start the drive so he goes back jefferson stops easy pitch and catch like they're going to end up back in that exact same spot in the same situation yeah just we're i don't even know if we differ my point is about brandon staley is it just it feels like it's no, almost like it. got bad luck like it's just yeah. it's just not working out for him i actually like, think that's true and that's yeah. why it gets me so mad when people are like so convinced that he's horrible and i'm like Boy, he gets a but like at a, at a certain point it's like i don't know i mean it keeps happening to this guy is it bad luck is it him well, that's the other thing. It's like I kind of feel like, like if he if if they didn't get that first down and they lost that game, I feel like he kind of loses the locker room at that point. And it's not even just like it's the decision making. It's like no matter what you do, we can't win. <laughs> like we can't figure this shit out. I, I, you know what I mean? Like that's and it's just a simple like, simple locker room reaction. It's like we. Nothing you do works, dude. <laughs> Nothing you do works. But hey, whatever. All right. So we're people... high on the Chargers this year. Yeah, yeah. Then I'll take it. I'll take the five and a half. That's fine. We'll All right, cool. Well, we're head to head. Where can people find find you? Uh, hit me up at Outkick. You can find my uh, my author page. A lot of good stuff there. I'm just uh, actually working on a piece right now about Sam Burns um, pooping when he got the call from. Zach Johnson to be on the Ryder Cup team. So really digging in, doing the hardcore, hard-hitting journalism that people want to know about. Um, yeah, Sam Burns was uh, dropping a deuce when Zach Johnson called him to say, hey, you made the Ryder Cup team. Big stuff. Hopefully we can get you a Pulitzer Prize for that one. Bro, I'm going to submit for a Pulitzer. Absolutely. <laughs> Man, you big J journalist, Dan Zach. It's Dan Zachshuski. All right, let's go over to Barking Dogs with the homie Scott Martin. The Barking Dog segment is back. I got the homie Scott Martins from Fox Business and Fox News, a.k.a. Scotty Markets, to hopefully extend his Outkick Bets podcast winning streak to four straight weeks. Another two-in-one week, three Scotty Markets. Damn it, it's good to have you back. It's good to be back, Jeff. It's it's good to be back and still back at two and one, like you said, for this third straight week here on our barking barking dog segment segment three out of three weeks. But man, it's so weird how you position that because part of me feels like I'm lucky to be back in a weird way, lucky to be two and one again. But then again, as we'll just quickly recap probably here, 
I don't know, man. That felt like it could have been a four and a week if you really, or three and a week, rather, if you shake it all down, sort of in the sense of there were some other leans I had that we didn't put on the pod that we talked kind of briefly about just on the last week's uh, segment. But still, it felt like a, a week that could have been a three and a week or a week that easily, I mean, scarily enough, could have been like a one and two week. Yeah, if we're going to peel back the curtain here, me and you were on the same side for the Saints. You and I hey. both hit the Saints and cashed at the number we gave out on Wednesday. Yet, like knuckleheads, at least myself, and I think you said this as well via text, but we waited until the uh, until a kickoff to play, place a bet in the Saints. I took them uh, on a money line, and they ended up choking away that game. So I hit the contest play. I made you guys some money, as did you. But did you make the same mistake I did? You better believe I did, man. And it was one of those things where just I continued to like the data going up to kick, Jeff. And so I said, you know what? I've already got the bet on the spread as we gave out on the pod last week, plus two to the Saints, which we squeaked out amazingly after what they were up, like 17 nothing most of the game. So I lost I, I lost the money line bet, too, because I just wanted to add a little bit more leverage on it with the Saints and the movement there on the line. But, yes, did have the plus two as we gave out to the listeners so astutely that uh, time on the pod last Wednesday. Yeah, I um, I was hoping for line value that the Packers were going to play either Aaron Jones, David Bakhtiari, or Christian Watson, and we would might maybe get Saints two and a half. But when all those guys got ruled out, it swung through zero and made the Saints a favorite. Um, I obviously figured they were going to cover anyways and, and went outright. That's why I made the bet, and it was looking great. They set themselves up for a would-be game-winning 46-yard field goal. Um, and Where is Will Lutz? <laughs> they yeah, they on, whiffed man. it. <laughs> yeah, the, the rookie kicker for the Saints whiffed it, and just kind of gives you an insight of how tight these markets are and how hard it is to win in the NFL. Jeff, and why you need to get the best of the number, Mr. and Mrs. Listener. Like when we talk about spreads and we talk about leans, we talk about movement, we talk about capital flows on each side of, of the spread, getting the best line is so key. Even if it's a half a point, even if it's a point, even if it's looking at a line and saying this looks too good to be true and it's probably going to go the other way or may or may not, but still, do you like the line? Take it, my friends, because it just shows you, like you said, man, you could be up 17 nothing, easy street cruising in the very, very temperate trunda, tunda of Lambeau Field and giving up 18 points in a blink of an eye and losing the game. Yeah, and this is also, this is a very particular rule that I follow, but if I take an underdog, I almost always take the points. I am not one of these people that just looks at one and a half or two and is like, ah, whatever, just play the money line. Like, no, I've had too many wins and too many losses by a half point, even on that one and a half, that I will take the one and a half conversely if i like a team minus one and a half i'm taking the money line. who cares they're, they're, exactly who cares and and that's how vegas makes their money too jeff they make it on the public on those little slides that little skimp whether it's like yeah. you said a 0.5 a half maybe even a minus 120 whatever it is great point man about making the best of the line and knowing where you like the line and if hey if it's one and a half you want to take it up to two and the the, the cost is reasonable do it yep um so you're six and three on the season, three straight two and one season, uh, two and one weeks. You're back again with another uh, three pack, uh, based on your stats and, and information based model. Um, so, I know that you and I, when we combine on picks, are undefeated. We again gave out the Saints last week plus two, so that was a winner. Um, we are opposite on one, 
but combine on the other. So let's start well, let's start good. ripping and roaring on your picks. What's your first like um, or, or bet that hopefully you have in the account, unless you're anticipating line movement? I'm going to take this one just because I like it where it is, just like we were talking about with the Saints Green Bay and, and learning from things as we do. I mean, that, that's part of gambling. That's part of analysis. That's part of the, the stock investments and in, in real estate things that I do. It's like, you know, you like something, you take it, and you take it while it's on the table. And so, Jeff, I, I really like the, the week set up here. I believe there's some really nice opportunity. And the first one, I think, is such in the Colts. Indianapolis Colts. L.A. Rams uh, coming into Indianapolis here at a uh, 12 p.m. Central game, 1 p.m. Eastern slate. Coming in with the Colts at minus one, so basically call it a pick em. I mean, more or less, you may be, I may take that down to a half just to make sure that we don't push on like a, a 21-20 game or something. But goodness, man, you've got a, a couple weird things going on here. One is, been very impressed with the Colts uh, and their play, basically, effectively. I mean, one thing that we've talked about, we talked about the pot a couple times, about the Colts and not quite really liking the team, but also feeling that they're a little bit undervalued in the sense of not really knowing how the pieces are going to fit in Indianapolis, but having pieces to fit. I mean, here's a perfect example. Gardner Minshew, your favorite quarterback, I'm sure, Jeff, at least the favorite quarterback that should otherwise be working at, say, 7-11. Not that there's anything wrong with it. The guy's got two touchdowns on the year. He's almost got 400 yards passing, stepping in for Anthony Richardson. And, oh, by the way, his counterpart, Matthew Stafford, has two touchdowns on the year. Combined with four interceptions who he's going against on Sunday from the Rams, yes, some more yardage in the air. But still, more mistakes on Stafford, just as many touchdowns, less time for Minshew, and the fact that that guy is a game manager. And that game against the Ravens last week, which was not part of our pod commentary necessarily too deep, but something that was on my models as far as a trigger for saying, hey, the Indianapolis Colts looked like a nice play last week. There's something going on there with the Colts, in my opinion. These pieces and how they fit, Jeff, I was actually uh, not afraid to admit this, actually a uh, – <clears throat> Captain, I'm almost afraid to say it, captain of the chess team in high school. And it's like these little pieces that fit on the board. You know, when you look at the Colts, you look at all the issues with Jonathan Taylor, some of the issues with the receivers, certainly Anthony, Anthony Richardson, some offensive line issues, issues in, in the front office or the coaching staff. There's a lot of things going on distraction-wise for the Indianapolis Colts that I think make the public not really understand what they are. And so, therefore, coming in against the Rams, or the Rams, rather, coming in against the, uh, against the um, Colts here, early game, home game, a chance for the Colts, man, to beat the Rams here and become 3-1 and one and really take the charge in that, say, NFC South. I think there's something really interesting about this game here and the fact, too, the public is heavy on the Rams to come back after what happened on, on uh, Monday night against the Bengals, uh, Monday night football there. So I still think the Colts are very undervalued, very underestimated to some degree, and I think it shows in the spread. It shows so far in what the public's doing on this bet here, betting mostly on the Rams. Well, this is the game that we have disagreement in. I'm playing the Darn. Rams plus one. So they you cl- would. <laughs> they closed last week at plus three and a half uh, versus the Bengals at the Cincinnati Bengals when Joe Burrow was officially announced in the game. Now the Colts are one point favorites over the over the Rams. So they're saying based on a little bit based on Burrow's injury concerns that the Bengals are only two and a half points better than the Colts. I have heavy disagreement with that. Also Gardner Minshew hasn't won back-to-back games since his rookie season. Um, Anthony Richardson, as of Wednesday, September 27th, that's still in the concussion protocol. He's most likely not going to play. And I feel it's even likelier he's not going to play because the Colts won last week. They don't feel the need to rush him back. Now that win last week was one of the, one of the flukier wins you'll ever see. They hit 
four 50-yard field goals in the rain record, and in the record. wind. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, amazing. It, it was crazy. It, Justin Tucker, I think, um, doinked yes, a 60-yarder. Yeah. Um, obviously, the Ravens just kind of choked that game away. They were missing six or seven starters. I will say I went into this season down in the Colts, especially organizationally. I think they made the right coaching hire. The, the the current coach, Shane Steichen, or the new coach, kept Gus Bradley on as defensive coordinator, and that defensive front seven is sick. Where I give the Rams a matchup edge here is if their offensive line, which is a little banged up, can hold up, Matthew Stafford's going to pick apart that secondary. That's what I think. And if you look at... If you if you look under the hood of the Rams Bengals game last week, they were one for eleven on third down. That almost has to progress back up to the mean, right? They were one and four in the red zone. If you saw the game, which I'm sure you did, I'm sure you had money on it. You're sicko like me. That's betting most of these games, Always. especially in the prime time. Two two Atwell almost scored a touchdown. He had a touchdown taken off the board. I guess his heel hit out of bounds or whatever. But like the Rams could have easily won that game. They played. Their third straight good game. Um, it went back and forth at San Francisco in week two, back and forth with the Bengals week three. I don't hate your analysis. I'm a little afraid to fade you considering you're 67% on outkick bets through three weeks, but this is something that we're in disagreement on. Hey, agree to disagree. And I like your analysis as always, Jeffrey. And and my take on one thing last week as to what happened vis-a-vis Justin Tucker missing basically with a chip shot field goal from the couch. And then, and then the the Colts kicker, uh, I think it was Matthew Gay or something like that, hitting the four the four kind of record field goals or close to it. Like, you know why that happened, man? In Baltimore, in the rain with Hurricane uh, or, or Tropical Storm Ophelia or whoever's over there, it's like that happened because the public was on Baltimore. I mean, that's a crazy thing, right? Like, that's how that worked oh, yeah. out was because the public was like fifty eight percent by my numbers on Baltimore. So of course, something when push came to shove went that way. Here's the real quick thing I'll tell you about the Rams. You're right about the analysis of protecting Stafford and so forth. Their offense just looks off, though, man. Something looks weird. I don't know if it's Stafford. I don't know if it's the play calling. Something just doesn't feel like it's clicking. Donald is in and out of the game, obviously. Joe Burrow, man. I mean, that game against Cincinnati, very unimpressive. I like your analysis of how the spread kind of works out vis-a-vis what Cincinnati looks like versus the Colts. But, dude, this is not the 2022 or the 2021 or even the 2020 Cincinnati Bengals, in my opinion. They were lucky to get out of that game with the win. That offensive prowess that Cincinnati kind of used to have or does have is not shown up. And so, hey, look, I mean, nice move with, with, with the Rams getting close to Cincy, like you said, busting that spread. I had him at three, so I pushed. But there's still, like, there's just some weird things going on with L.A. and Indianapolis. And I think that's a huge Indianapolis confidence booster in Baltimore to go in there and win that game that they hadn't done for years and to go in there and say, you know what, we can beat Justin Tucker, we can beat Lamar, and we can beat the other guys on the defense because of the fact that they've got this unit that seems to be formulating and coagulating, to use a weird scientific word, that I think helps the Saints on Sunday, or helps the Saints rather, the Colts on Sunday, minus one against the Rams. Well, you almost gave me a perfect transition into your second bet. You kind of you, you kind of dove a little deeper into your analysis, which I love, the listeners love. But me and you are on the same side of this Bengals-Titans game. 
I believe. Yes. I'm taking the Titans plus two and a half. That's the number I'm showing here at uh, our sponsor, Points Bet. Also, going back, I would recommend if you like the Colts to take their minus 115 money line at Points Bet. But nice. I'm taking the nice. Titans plus two and a half. It's actually my best bet of the week. I already discussed it with Dan Z, but why don't you lay out your case with the Titans? Yes, great call. And I'm glad we're on the same side with this one because I like the extra confidence. I think this is one of those bets, Jeff, that just looks too easy for the public to make in the sense of it just looks too good from the standpoint of thinking that, okay, the Titans are reeling. They're actually at home on this game, which the Titans home field is not really that great. I've been to Nissan Stadium, not that impressive, but they're at home. It's the first, it's the early game. It's the first late. So no big deal there. Heavy, heavy, heavy Bengals favorite so far because we're coming off this Monday night workout fake out where Burrow's gipping around, but man, is he toughing it out. And oh my gosh, yeah, the Rams came back. And like you mentioned, had a few kind of near misses there, but otherwise kind of dominated, sort of dominated that game in a weird way. The game really isn't even dominated by anybody, either team, but they were ahead and they had the lead in the fourth quarter considerably. So it's one of those things where the public is just really saying, hey, the Titans stink. I mean, the Titans have not been good this year. They've been completely discombobulated. They have had no home field advantage so far. They're basically on the brink of really, I think, kind of falling apart. I mean, they, they, they we picked... We talked about Cleveland, and, and we talked about that on the pod, uh, the, the, the Titans game at Cleveland last week as, as one of the things, and talked about how like those were just a, a setup perfectly for, for Cleveland to bounce back. And even the game, um, even the game that, that, that I think, you know, I, I'd say LA, the LA Clippers, the LA Clippers, the LA Chargers game on, on September 17th that the Titans had before that, not really that impressive either, 27-24 in overtime. It's just like if you look at certain things that the Titans have done, whether it's week three against Cleveland, Week two at home against the Clippers, or against Clippers again, Chargers week two, or week one at New Orleans. It just does not feel like the Titans have it together. They just do not feel like they have a composition of a real team here and what they want to do and what they want to be. And so that's why the public certainly likes what they see here. But that is where things change, my friends. And the fact that we have a really big heavy favorite on the Bengals. We've got Tannehill, which is coming in with awful numbers vis-a-vis Bureau. Burrow, more or less, with respect to, say, tight, tight uh, touchdowns versus interceptions, one t- one touchdown versus three interceptions for Tannehill, two and two on Burrow. But then you have, like, Travis Derrick Henry, rather, Travis Henry, like, formerly of the Bills, Derrick Henry from Alabama, Travis Henry originally from Tennessee, Derrick Henry, boys and girls, running the ball for t- Tennessee Titans, still carrying the load pretty good, still having a decent year, still needing to open it up, still needing to get kind of involved in the passing game a little bit here. And DeAndre Hopkins pretty much invisible so far no touchdowns on the year i just think jeff this is one of those situations where the titans defense can lock down on burrow they can lock down on the cincy receivers i'm not worried about joe mixon i'm more worried about the fact that Tannehill wakes up and not even worried because i'm betting on it worried about Tannehill showing up big derrick henry showing up big and deandre hopkins actually showing to be the receiver that he can still be and taking down the bengals on sunday so just to piggyback off of all your analysis um with the market stuff the the public is and, and and maybe even the sharps are hammering the bangles and they're thinking hey Big time. two and a half that's an easy number but the sports books apparently don't think the bangles are much better than the titans and i think by the end of the season the Bengals will be much better than the Titans, but I don't think currently entering week four the Bengals are much better than the Titans. Also, the Cincinnati offense has no pop. Uh, Burrow's calf injury is certainly limiting him. He's Horrible. Not, Looks he's bad. Not, he's, not, he's not as mobile. He's not going deep down the field. There's a lot of dinking and dunking. Tennessee is a great physical tackling Eyes team. wide open too, Jeff. 
He's yeah. missing guys down the field, even they're like 10, 15 yards down the field, just missing guys. And guys are dropping balls because the balls are wobbly. Yep, that that Tennessee defensive line is significantly underrated. They're gonna they're gonna maul that offensive line. They're gonna completely take away Cincinnati's run game, and they're gonna make Joe Burrow either matriculate down. He's gonna have to matriculate down the down the field because they're not giving up the deep ball. So I'm with you. And the biggest the biggest angle is the one that you already talked about. It's just everyone's betting the Bengals. Everyone's just like, oh, this is an easy one. So. And dude, I love that, Jeff. I love that. I mean, this both teams are up against the wall here. You've got both teams basically. I mean, let's let's run through the scenario here with the listeners. The Bengals go to one and three. They've got a couple really nasty losses. They've got one kind of decent win, but let's face it, one and three with Burrow kind of gimpy, receivers not stepping up, Joe Mixon being Joe Mixon, whatever. I mean, that's a tough spot to be in. So that's scary for the Bengals. And usually it's a time that a team will rise up, but same goes for Tennessee. They go to one and three here. Yeah, the NFC North, no big deal or whatever, South, whatever. It's just like you've, you've got you've got the standard thing here where you have the issue with the NFC North, that's the Bengals situation where they're really against the wall because of the fact the NFC North, or AFC North rather, is a lot tougher than, say, the AFC South. But still, Tennessee has a chance, man, to go to two and two in the AFC South amongst just a, just a melange, if you will. That's French for like a mixture of just some teams that are just not looking great. I mean, they have a chance really back against the wall here to take a big step forward and getting points at home in an area where you've got the Bengals coming off a great Monday night win, I guess, if you will, if you listen to some of the analysts and obviously some of the money flows, that to me screams Tennessee. Yeah, Bengals and Titans both got mopped by the Cleveland defense. Both of their wins are by three points, um, and their other losses, I'm spacing on the Bengals, but the Titans lost in New Orleans to a, a Saints defense I'm high on. Um, I'm spacing out again on the Bengals' second loss, but... Um, the, the, well, that, the Bengals' the Bengals second oh, loss that, was when they lost at Cleveland at Baltimore versus, versus Baltimore at home. Tough game, 27-24 at home in Cincinnati week two. Mm-hmm. Uh, good call. So both have... Both took ass whoopings by the Browns. Both lost uh, by one score uh, to tough teams, and both won by one score. To me, not a much difference, but I'm not going to beat a dead points, horse. Man. I want the points, and I want the home team, man. Yes, good call. That's oh where yeah, I'm going. and against the public, yeah. we saw Vrabel kick a field goal down four inside of three minutes to cover against the Saints. I'm I'm taking all the points I can with the Titans. You never know. Um, never know. I like it. And you're you're going. I like in, Mike. Yeah. Oh yeah, I love Mike Vrabel. Um, you're 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 taking a side in a game that I have I want no part in. But um, most of America's eyeballs are going to be on Sunday. The Buffalo Bills hosting the Miami Dolphins. Talk to me about this one. How do you see it? CBS game of the week, I believe, and uh, something man where this is a barking dog segment. Uh, this is a segment where we talk about things that do not feel good. Remember we talked about Jeff even on week one, the ick. That's the ick, the ick, the ick feeling that you go up to the, you go up to the window, uh, you know, maybe you call that significant other back when you shouldn't, you know what I mean? You want to say goodbye to him, but you call him back and ask him on another date, whatever you're doing there, not to get into anybody's personal love lives here or my own, but man, talk about an ick bet on Sunday. It's the Buffalo Bills, homies. Minus three now, Jeff. It looks like on a few sites, I see some minus two and a half still out there. Jeff, minus three at home against the Miami Dolphins. And so here's the issue with me on the Dolphins and everything else. I got exploded on by the Dolphins last week. I mean, I 
on the pod. My one loss last last week was Denver going into South Beach and just covering. I mean, come on, Denver. You had six points. You had seven on some sites. Um, even live betting, it was up to 10, which seems like a, a uh, just a penchant of a number considering they lost by, what, like a 1,000. But it's like that game was really tough, Jeff, from the standpoint of not to be only on the Broncos because you pretty much knew it was over after the first five minutes. But the fact, too, that as the public watching that show, they're watching that Miami Dolphins air show. They're watching the ground game. They're watching the Denver Broncos basically looking like they were Notre Dame and putting not even 10 guys on the field instead of 11 against Ohio State at the end of that game, but maybe putting on five guys, which didn't even look like they wanted to tackle. Four of them didn't. Point being, this is one of those setups, man, where you can have a pretty nice slice of heaven, I believe, on looking at two things. Money flows for sure, money line movement, and then the public betting, and the fact, too, that this number just doesn't look right. It's that ick feeling if you go up to the window and say, man, hey, what's the spread? Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, bet taker on the Miami Dolphins Buffalo game, and they're like, "Oh, it's minus three. Like, okay, cool. I'll take uh, I'll take Miami minus three. Like, no, no, no. You're going to get three points, or you're going to get two and a half points. It's like, what? What are you talking about? So my take is the following: This is one of those bounce back games for Buffalo. This is the game that Josh Allen shows up. He's got five touchdowns on the year, combined with four interceptions. He's one of the league leaders in interceptions. Two has had nothing wrong, nothing wrong at all. Other than maybe a little bit of inaccuracy at times. Eight touchdowns, two picks. Raheem Mostert has been an absolute beast out of the backfield. That's going to slow down. That's going to revert to the mean. So is Tua. So is the fact that this game's on the road. The weather looks eesh, not bad. And we're not talking about lake effect snow of like, you know, two feet like we typically get in Buffalo in the winter. But we're talking about maybe some breeze off the lake here, a little bit of wishy-washy weather. So this is Miami going out of their element, Jeff, and going to Buffalo where the spread masters know this, this the, the line makers know, the books know. This is going to be a heavy public favorite, and we want to make it really big. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to give the Dolphins, we're going to give them points. And so they do that here with, say, the Buffalo, like I said, minus two and the Buffalo. Buffalo Bills, minus two and a half, maybe minus three. I'm taking Buffalo all day long and twice on Sunday, brother. Yeah, as I talked about Dan Z, I lean towards Buffalo. My brother and I have a circa million entry. I have one of my own. He really wants to put the Dolphins in, and because I've been, uh, I've pushed a couple of picks. Too popular. Him. Too popular. Yeah, I pushed a couple of picks on him. I'm going to let him have this one. Um, but I side with your analysis, to be honest. Um, I just don't think the Dolphins are ready to beat the Bills in Buffalo right now. I love this number. And even though we call this do- this segment the Bark and Dog segment, the only favorites you've went with have been the Bills. Uh, it was in Week 2 against the Raiders and now here because... The Bills have been um, have been facing public dogs. Um, more money was on the Raiders last time. More money is crazy, in on the and we crushed that time. one, Jeff. We crushed that Raiders bet, dude. And I think everyone is just, I think everyone's bogged down by Josh Allen turning the ball over on Monday Night Football Week One, and aren't really just paying attention to how devastating this Bills team still is. And they're still, besides the Chiefs, probably the cream of the crop in the AFC. Big time. And, and I love how you said it, dude. Bogged down, misperceived on what the Buffalo Bills really are because we don't know exactly what they are yet, but we, they are the Buffalo Bills. There's a pedigree there. There's good coaching. There's a good nucleus of team. I think Josh Allen is better than what the numbers show. And to your point, man, they've been bogged down by how the Bills have been perceived, but also the public has been lifted up by how great things are from Tua's arm. The good old lefty. I'm a left-handed person too, man. And guess what? We love the lefty love, but Tua is not as good as his numbers say. Tyreek Hill, one of my favorite players to watch in the NFL, 
Not as good as the numbers say. Same with Raheem Mostert. Things are coming back down to earth, Dolphin fans, and it starts Sunday. Beautiful. All right. Well, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Scotty Markets. Jeff talking about obviously some sports as we do here, as well as some uh, market analysis, interesting analysis, inflation analysis, things like that that I do for Fox Business uh, and for my other career, I guess. And then also talk a little music too. Music, sports, betting, finance. Man, you're a renaissance man. I love it. Thanks for joining me, uh, Scott Martin, a.k.a. Scotty Markets. Talk to you next week in your Barking Dog segment. Well, see ya. All right. And make sure you follow uh, at RealDanZach uh, on Twitter. Follow me at Jeffrey underscore. More importantly, follow the Outkick Bets podcast on Twitter. Until next time, peace. Peace.